Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, September 1st, we're studying Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 to 20. The Lord pronounces woe upon the Babylonians for their greed, their violence, their idolatry. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have this returning guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. How's the weather in Austin today? It's fine. It's, uh, it looks like it's going to be another hot one today, but I don't think it'll be 100 quite yet. And It's amazing. We've made it through the summer with just a couple of days into the hundreds. It's, a, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like a paradise now around here. <laughs> well, it's always a paradise to live in Texas, I think. True enough. <laughs> Yesterday, I was looking to my east to talk to Pastor Casper in LaGrange. Today, I'm looking west to talk to you in Austin. It's a, a joy to have you with us today, Pastor Wolf Miller. Yep, great to uh, be here. We're, we are in Habakkuk today, the middle of chapter two. As you think about the prophet, his ministry, his book, what should we know about the prophet and what we've heard so far that helps us into what we get today? Well, just maybe to remember the context, Habakkuk is about the time of the first um, deportation in the Babylonian exile. So we'll remember that that, Jeru that one of the major dates of the Old Testament, uh, 586, sometimes people say 587, was the destruction of the temple in Babylon by the, sorry, the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And, and so that kind of gives us one of these benchmark dates. And Habakkuk was prophesying leading up to that particular moment. It's also helpful to remember then that that there was sort of three waves of of Hebrews taken to Babylon or taken away into exile. So you have the first wave with like Daniel and his companions, the second wave with Ezekiel, then the third wave with sort of everybody else. And just a few farmers were left behind in the land. And Habakkuk is probably closer to that first wave, about the time that Daniel is being taken away into exile with his three companions and some of the other of uh, the excellent sort of young scholars and potential rulers of, of Jerusalem were being taken away. That's about the time that Habakkuk was prophesying. And uh, you must have had yesterday this most beautiful verse in Habakkuk chapter four. It's great where it talks about um, uh, it basically leading up to it. It's the Lord says to Habakkuk, go make a billboard because what I'm about to say is so important. I don't want any, I, even if you're running, even if you're riding a chariot, I want you to be able to read these words. So go make a billboard and put on it, the righteous shall live by faith. And that becomes a theme of Habakkuk's preaching. It, it encapsulates in a beautiful way the entirety of the Old Testament. It comes into the New Testament three times, and it's that particular verse in Romans chapter 1 that led Luther to begin to articulate, maybe to, to, to be able to see clearly in the scriptures and articulate the doctrine of justification. That 
our standing before God is not by our works. It's not by what's seen, but it's by, by faith and by trusting in the word. And in the context of Habakkuk, it is really important for the Lord's people to realize, I mean, here's this huge, big, massive empire, the Babylonian empire, with all these riches, with all this wealth, with all this power and strength, and seemingly with all this victory, it would be very easy to think, well, God must be on their side. But Habakkuk comes and preaches the Lord's word, which says, no, righteousness is indicated not by success, not by this overflow of of wealth and all this other stuff. Righteousness comes about by faith, by believing the Lord's promise. And here the people are particularly to cling to the promise that, for example, out of Judea will come the Lord's king, that the scepter won't part from Judah until the Messiah, the king, is uh, made um, made visible. And so, so they're to cling to that promise, even when it seems like everything else has been wiped away, when they're when their people are being taken off to another country, when their cities are being torn down and and burned, they're to believe that promise and cling to it. That promise came in the context of this conversation between Habakkuk and the Lord. We've seen the prophet go back and forth with the Lord now twice. He's brought up a question, the Lord's answered. Another question, the Lord's answered. Today, how, how does today's text fit into that conversation, that back and forth before with the Lord? Yeah, this is, uh, in my read, it's the, the Lord is calling Habakkuk to sing a song. And that song is, um, it's called, uh, it's taunting sometimes, take up a taunting proverb or uh, a scoffing riddle. That phrase is used um, twice already uh, in the prophets. Isaiah 14 has the same thing. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, which is really parallel to this. And um, in also in Micah chapter two, in that day they shall take up a taunt, a taunt song against you. So, so this is a um, so so Habakkuk is to to lead the chorus of this ridicule song to the king of to, well to the Chaldeans to all of them, especially directed to the rich and the king, but. But he's a take up, and it's a it's a five stanza song that the Lord is going to uh, give here. Each of the verses begins with "woe" and ends with um, "because" or "for" or "but" or something like this. And so you, you have the and this song is going to go from 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 verse six all the way to the end of the chapter. So that's the section that we're in is the is the Lord is teaching Habakkuk this song to teach the people to mock the the babylonians and i don't know if this how this strikes us because we are we're a lot of people nowadays are very sensitive to to sarcasm or to mockery or to scoffing in this way but the prophets are not and apparently the lord is not either so while we want to always be circumspect in our speech there's a way that this sort of derisiveness is is part of the prophetic rhetoric. It's just the way the, the Lord will deal with the unbelievers. And and I think it's it might be helpful just to meditate for a couple of minutes on the fact that the devil is always doing this strategy as well. There's a there's a sort of an apologetic of scoffing, which I I, and I noticed this a few years ago, uh, Pastor Apple that um, 
that most often, like when you just take some Christian doctrine, and the way that the devil will argue against it is not by presenting a well-reasoned, well-thought-out argument, but rather he'll just sort of snicker. And this is tough, especially for the kids. Uh, so, you know, you say something like, well, yeah, I believe that the Lord created the world. I believe the Lord created the world in six days. And and the response is not uh, some sort of articulation of, it's just a, <clears throat> really? <sighs> this derisive, de- I believe that the earth is not that old. And so, <clears throat> really? It's just sort of this kind of ro- so roll the eyes and, 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 laugh under your breath at the person. And that probably has more effect than someone putting together a hundred page art with foots about, about the thing is this derisiveness. So the devil is, has a snicker strategy. The, the prophets will uh, some, that same strategy going the other way. And so here, it, here it is in this song of woe. I think that, you know, in this taunt song, as you called it, and I think that's a good way of, of putting it, sometimes that does surprise us. And perhaps it's something that we could recover a little bit more. I don't think it's entirely absent from from our way of thinking these days, although maybe we don't realize it as much. A couple of things come to my mind. One would be in, in our current hymnal, the Lutheran Service Book, hymn number 666, which is a, a number that frightens people sometimes. They very purposely put the hymn, O Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe, as mm-hmm. that hymn number. And, and that mm-hmm. strikes me as, as a similar idea. Or in the hymn, God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It, there's that stanza in which we basically you know, call out Satan and say, we're not afraid of you because you've got no power. And so I think you know, when, we, when we think about it that way, it's maybe a little bit easier for us to, to take that up and continue that sort of mockery and making fun of the devil, his works, his ways. This mostly comes up in there. There's a strong theme of this in in rap music. I so I don't know much about rap, but um, every now and again I'll start listening to some of the Christian rappers, and sort of famously a couple of years ago, one um, a particular rapper, Flame, became a Lutheran and was and was uh, has written songs articulating the Lutheran doctrine, and but there's a bit of mockery towards like the Calvinist doctrine of the Lord's Supper, which seems kind of funny. That's sort of the culture of, of, um, of rap and hip hop. And, uh, and that it has this sort of feel to it as well. It's, I mean, that's just, but you know, the Lord will always be, it reminds me of, is it the prophet Joel or Abel? I think it's in Joel where the Lord says, okay, now you're going to take up the songs that are, and, and, and the Lord gives Joel the, the three songs that the people are to sing, and the songs are called uh, Nobody's Alive, The Streets Are Full of Bodies, and Darkness is Everywhere, or something like this. These are the names of the songs. So can you imagine going to church and say, okay, our opening hymn is Bodies Everywhere. This is not a pleasant thing. So the Lord will, you know, it'll come back on the people as well when they're confident and trusting in their own idolatry. The Lord will say, "Look, you're gonna say, you're gonna be singing a different tune." So, um, yeah, but it's it, it's kind of amazing for us to think about this that that here is the well, and and maybe to 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 understand to understand this in as sanctified a way as possible. There's a I've I've been studying uh, Pastor Apple the martyrs. And there's a theme that runs through the martyr stories, not all of them, but a lot of them. And that is this 
confidence that they have as they stand before the the person about to put them to death and they stand there with this boldness almost mocking so i i think of i think it was uh agatha who was about to be burned and the proconsul says don't you know that i can i can set you on fire and i'm going to burn you to death and you should just say lord caesar and she says to him well you're she looks over at the fire and says your fire just lasts for a few hours but the fire of the one who will judge you lasts forever <laughs> now that is pretty bold and derisive to the one who thinks that they are that they have all the authority that they have all the power that they're the they're standing at the top for them to remember that no there's one who stands above them there is a lord of lords there is a king of kings there is a judge of judges there is one who is not just high but most high and he rules and reigns and on the last day he has the last word and it's good for these babylonians to remember that and this song is to help them remember i think it was pastor hans feeney who who told me this that one of the things when it comes to satire and mockery is that when you make fun of something you show that you're not afraid of it which i think ties in very well to what you're saying with the the stories of the martyrs and it, it ties into the fear of the lord as being the the driving factor for the for the christian that above all else the the christian has the fear of the lord in its fullest sense and so when you know a threat comes in the case of the martyr or when these false gods of the babylonians and the babylonian army comes along even in such a case, there's there's this sense of of mockery of of making fun of because you know that it, at the end, these things are not to be feared. They have no real power. That power belongs to the Lord, which I I do think ties in very nicely with this whole theme of Habakkuk that you brought out earlier in, in two verse four that the righteous lives by faith, and and that that fact you know faith is very much tied into the fear of the Lord. So that you know when you see a so, a song of taunting like this, it it all it comes together in that that fear of the Lord. He is truly God over all. He is truly King over the universe. And so this Babylonian army as powerful as it may seem, is really nothing before him and can actually be taunted in this way. Yep, I think that's well said. Let's go ahead and read then. We're in Habakkuk 2, beginning at verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. 
you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That's our text for today. That's Habakkuk 2, verses 6 to 20. Wow. Pastor Wolf Mueller, as you said, this we've got a taunt song here. Verse 6 introduces it. And then there's five stanzas, each containing a woe to the Babylonians. So the, the first one, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. What's what's being spoken, the woe in this first stanza? Yeah, this is so this the sin is of course the seventh commandment, but here it's the this Babylonian greed to gather up the wealth of the people. And there's a funny verse here, um what does it say? Uh you to loads himself with pledges. Um this is a it's the some of the verses say clay or mud there and it has this indication that and it's a, so it's a tricky thing to translate. Uh, pledges is probably good. It, it, but it's it's like um, uh, it's like the picture of a miner who goes down into the dirt to get some riches, some gold or silver coins or something like this. And so, so the this ba- the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are going and they're grabbing up all these nations to get all of their riches, and and it's and they're but the Lord says you're just loaded down with mud. You're just making yourself dirty because your debtors will arise, those awake who make you tremble, and you will be spoiled for them. It's all going to turn around. Those who have, those you have plundered will plunder you. In fact, that's what it says in verse 8. You've plundered many nations. The remnant of the people shall plunder you. And why? It's because they were gathering up these riches not by honest labor and work, but by violence, by blood the blood of man and the violence of the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. So so just like the blood of uh, Abel cried out for vengeance, so the blood, all the blood of all the nations that were conquered by the, by the Babylonians are crying out for vengeance, and that vengeance will be delivered uh, on them. And, and so here are the Babylonians who are sort of the crown of nations. They've got everything. They, they, this is not going to last. This is not going to last long. And, and, and the basic... You know, Pastor Apple, the thing, it's good for us to remember these sort of prophetic principles because we look also at our own world and we see our own nation as the the most powerful, wealthy nation in the world. And we think, oh, yeah, that's, that's how it is. That's how it'll be. But these prophets remind us that that all of this is this is transitory that, and that any sort of pr- pride or maybe say any sort of security that we have in ourselves is misplaced and dangerous. 
Yeah. So, okay. That's a couple thoughts there with this matter of the mud, the clay, the, the pledges. The, it seems the, the picture is the Babylonians in acquiring all this wealth through theft, the seventh commandment issue that we've got going on here. They're, they're just heaping up a load of debt and it's going to have to be paid back eventually. I mean, that, that sounds like the picture, almost like their, their sin then is a, a debt which clings to them and it's going to come back. They're going to have to pay up this pride. It's going to, to cause them to fall. Is that the, the picture we've got going on here? Well, that's right. And, and so, you know, they're ma- they're, they've become wealthy because they've conquered people. You know, not through work, which is what the Lord has appointed, but through war, which the Lord has not appointed. And and so they're, they're ill-gotten gains, and it's going to come back to bite them. In, in terms of the way that we do take this and, and think about it in our own context today, you, you took it to the like a national level, a, a community-wide level. Is there, is there also a, an individual application for this as well? Well, it's this is. I mean, you know, well, let's take a half step back here and say that wisdom is applying the Ten Commandments to the particular circumstances in which we find ourselves, and so this is an example of that wisdom. And the Seventh Commandment: "You shall not steal." This stands written on stone by the Lord, and in the conscience of every person, "You shall not steal." And so we are set in this world, um, not just to gather up stuff for ourselves and to try to try to make ourselves secure by our material possessions that's impossible anyways but rather we're to work hard and to be generous that's what the seventh commandment what it requires of us and so you know we we we're always tempted to think that if we have enough that we're secure and if we don't have enough that we're in unsecure that that security is uh, based on our wealth or our possessions or something like this. this all, and this is the most common idol of all, mammon, called by Jesus. And Luther reminds us in the large catechism on the first commandment that this is the most uh, common idol amongst humanity, trusting in our wealth. And so this is another example of how, it, how that's false. It, it reminds us that there is a reason that, that our father's put eagles on the dollar bill it's to remind us that they that they fly away and we can't we can't put our confidence and our trust in these things right and and that certainly is part of what's being spoken here to the babylonians this woe this wealth that they're acquiring is not going to give give them any security they've gotten it in a dishonest, greedy, violent way. That's going to come out in the the future woes, as we will see. I think we'll pick up those other woes on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Habakkuk chapter two with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're going to take that short break right now, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. I'm listening to you on my Kindle here in Great Falls, Virginia. I just want to thank you so much for the beautiful music, and I'm so thankful for you. God bless you and keep you in your good work. Thanks again. Bye-bye. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, 
anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. It's been said an elephant can be trained but never completely tamed. There's no such thing as a truly domesticated elephant. An elephant is a living, mighty, active thing. So is faith. Dr. Michael Ziegler describes the faith of Jesus that carries us along on its mighty shoulders and is lived out in tireless good deeds done for others. This week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Smith, host of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. Join us as we read through the Book of Concord and look at confessional topics as learned guests and lively discussion will lead us to appreciate how the treasures of the Lutheran confessions apply in the 21st century as much as they did in the 16th. So join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central on KFUO Radio or on demand through the Concord Matters podcast. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Hi, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Are you an investor looking to support the bold and loving work of LCMS churches? Is your church or organization ready to do bold and loving work? This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. That's 800-843-5233, lcef.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 1st. We're studying Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 to 20 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, before we leave that first woe, I was just reflecting on verse 8 over the break, where it says, because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. That, that remnant language that comes up there. Thinking of, I mean, we've talked a lot about the taunting of Babylon here, the taunting of the enemies of God, and and how I think that mention of the remnant in the context of Habakkuk serves as a comfort for God's people. Habakkuk's been questioning God about, you know, why are you going to let the wicked just sweep away everybody, wicked and righteous together? And he's the Lord has promised, as, as we've said, the righteous will live by faith. That promise of deliverance is coming. And this mention of the remnant here in the context of this taunt song, I think, is part of the comfort that's there as the church would sing, that we would know that there is a remnant. The Lord does preserve his people. I think that's right. And that's picking up on, and Habakkuk does this, I I think, quite a bit. Um, He's picking up on a really strong theme from the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah was warning, warning, warning in, in the generation previous, well, and kind of yeah, generation previous, he was warning about the destruction of Jerusalem and how they cannot trust in the fact that they are Jerusalem, so they'll be safe. That that was a f- false pride. The Lord can destroy the the city and still keep His promises. That was the riddle that uh, that a lot of the prophets were messing with in Jeremiah the same way because the people were trusting these promises in, um, but they were taking from God's promises not certainty, but security, that we can do whatever we want. We have these promises. We'll be safe. They were misusing the gospel. And the Lord was saying, no, no, look, um, I can still come and wallop Jerusalem and keep the promise that the Messiah will come from Jerusalem. I can do that. And that promise is put forth in the doctrine of the remnant. So most of you will be destroyed, carted off. You might even be killed by the invading armies. But there will be a remnant, those who are preserved, and they will stand. And it's that remnant that will, um, from which the 
the the Messiah will come. It's that remnant who will continue on in the land. It's the remnant um, who will be blessed in this way. The remnant is the the shoot from the stump of Jesse. So the tree of Israel is cut down, but then a little branch comes from the side, the remnant. And so that remnant preaching from Isaiah is reflected here in Habakkuk, which is beautiful. And there's uh, so that... And and here in the taunt, the context of the taunt, the Babylon, do what you will. You know, you come and cart off the people and move everybody around and do all this sort of stuff. But there's a faithful remnant that the Lord will bless, and that will be your undoing. In the second woe, we have in verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Sounds like it's building on that first woe, thoughts about the seventh commandment, the greed, but then tied into that matter of thinking that there's going to be security in this, the nest on high and out of reach from harm. What do you see here in the second woe? Well, it, here comes in the theme of shames explicitly in verse 10. You've devised, devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. But their brutality is going to be the, exposed, and that'll be the shame of it. But there's a really this idea of the this nest on high, the eagle who builds his his house in the heaven, etc. That it comes up in the prophets a number of times. But here, this most especially reminds me of the Tower of Babel, and the it's maybe you know not an accident that that the Tower of Babel and Babylon share that same share that same name because back in the days after the flood. When everyone was still speaking the same language, they said, "Let's come and build a tower uh, that reaches to the heavens." And why we don't know, but they want to make a name for themselves. And I suppose they they want to build a tower so tall that they can escape the next flood, so that the Lord won't have the capacity to judge them. Uh, that they're they're building their own ark, if you would, so that they can they can preserve themselves against the Lord's judgment. It just doesn't work. And the Lord brings judgment on that. But here, here he's, the Babylonians are, are will be so big, will have so much wealth and so much power that we'll be safe. There'll be no judgment for us. And that's wrong. All will stand before the judgment seat of God. It's, it's a really important prophetic theme. And also, again, just to apply it for us is to remember that there is the judge who judges the judges, that no, no matter how uh, high an office you reach, and, and this is it, to think of the context of the totalitarian um, rulers that we've had to face in the last couple of centuries. When you have a godless, secular, totalitarian state, you have a, you have a guy like Hitler or Stalin or anywhere in in the in the world that doesn't believe in God, who is higher than them? Who who judges them? That these totalitarian dictators think that they stand above above everyone. That they're the judge of all, but there's no judge over them. And the prophets are reminding the Habakkuk specifically is here reminding the Babylonians that no. All will be judged. You cannot escape that judgment of God and the destruction that he brings on the wicked. You can't build a tower that high. You, Psalm 139 is where David says, where can you go to escape the presence of God? Heaven? Hell? Light? Dark? No. Uh, 
vengeance belongs to the Lord, and he will stand and judge all people. And that universal judgment is a particularly important, not only theological point, but ethical point as well, that that even those who rule among uh, in the world, among men, must rule with the humility, with the recognition that they also will face the judgment day. And that that humbles all of us. There's a danger, though, in there's a danger when the judgment day is lost. And that danger is probably the the bloody century that we've seen in the la- you know in the last uh, two two hundred years of earth of history in the world is that that we when people forget the judgment day they think they can their wickedness can expand with impunity and there's there, there's no punishment that will come and so the prophets are always bringing and here Habakkuk is always bringing people back to the reality of the judgment you can't build your house you can't build a nest that high to escape the Lord's judgment. That the, con- the connection you made to the Tower of Babel, I, I think is very helpful. If I recall that correctly in Genesis 11, there's a, a little bit of mockery there where the Moses writes that the Lord looked down, you know, no matter how, <laughs> how tall their tower got still, the Lord was higher and looked down as if he's looking on, you know, on ants. And as uh, some of this conversation, as, as you're talking about the judgment day and how this affects particularly our rulers, and, and I suppose in our own context where we have a share in that rule via civic participation, uh, via voting, this, this sh- we should take this to heart. But some of this conversation reminds me of, of Psalm 2, where you have the, there, there it's not just one ruler, but kings together all taking counsel against the Lord and his anointed. And, and the Lord responds by, by laughing and by setting his own king, the, the Messiah, over it all, to whom we all must recognize, you know, that's where the true authority lies. I think the words of Psalm 2 come into play with some of this as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. So the the Lord sets his Messiah on his holy hill, and he'll rule the world with a rod of iron. So, so the kings try to break the Lord's bonds, but the Lord laughs. And that laughter is not a, it's a derisive laughter. You can try, you can try to break the Lord's bonds, but there's a revenge that comes back, even, even in the in the way that the Lord has built the earth, that justice is sort of built in. But then mercy comes on top of it, and that's why the specificity of Jesus is so important. Is that these godless rulers or people or whatever us, when we forget the Lord, there will be a uh, there will be a natural revenge on breaking the Lord's law. It comes slowly. We think we got we've gotten away with it, but there will be a natural revenge. But the only way to escape that destruction is through uh, the refuge that we have in Christ, through His kindness and suffering and death. And that's the the reason why um, the Lord has done more than just build in this right and wrong in nature. He's also revealed Himself as merciful in Christ, and so. So it's important to recognize natural law and the effects of it, and the fact that there will be a very specific judgment day that's more than natural law that will face the consequences of our sin. But the Lord has more than that for us. There's there's kind of two layers of ignorance that the unbeliever has covered themselves with. The first ignorance is the ignorance of their own sin, the ignorance of their own breaking God's law, the ignorance of their own rebellion. But the second ignorance is the worst ignorance, and that is the ignorance of the Lord's redemption and his kindness in Christ. 
And that's why being born again is is being brought out of those two layers of ignorance. That's what repentance is, that we see our own sin and then we see Christ who has borne our sin and carried our sorrows so that he might redeem us and, and rescue us. And so, um, so, so now the prophets are finding these Chaldeans buried under these two uh, layers, these two layers of rubble of the ignorance of the truth of the world and the truth of God. Let's move into the third woe, which begins in verse 12. And we've, we've talked a lot about the greed that's involved, the trying to find security, set yourself as the highest judge in the second woe. Now in the, the third woe, it seems that the violence that was inherent in the Babylonian army particularly comes into view. Help us into that, that third woe in verses 12 and following. Yeah, here's the mockery of the this woe is in verse 13. It says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? So here we have the Lord's name here, by the way, twice in this verse, verse 13, Yahweh, the, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, and then uh, in verse 14, the glory of the word, uh, Kadesh, or Kadosh Yahweh. Uh, th this is... Um, the, so the Lord of armies and the Lord who makes himself known are both referenced here. But the Lord is playing this, um, hmm, uh, it's not a game because it's deadly serious, but the, it says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire? That is, everything that you're doing, everything that you're building, everything that you're investing in is going to burn. I mean, specifically for the Chaldeans, they're going to be conquered and their cities are going to be burned. So they're spending all their work for investing in something that's going to come to nothing. And the same thing, though, is true on a macro scale, on a cosmic scale, when we think of, again, of the Judgment Day, that, that there's so much that we are investing in in this life that's just going to be burned up and it's going to come to nothing. And it's, it's a cruel trick if you don't know the trick, but the Lord is sending the prophets so that they would know it. I mean, here you're late, you're wearying yourselves to establish this nation that's going to be torn down. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is, there's a lot of verses that reflect this idea. Um, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, or, um, Isaiah 11, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk is basically reworking that particular verse. We see it in the Psalms. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, Isaiah 6, the call of the Lord has that. Uh, the, the, the revelation gives us this glorious picture that, that in the resurrection, it's not just the resurrection of humanity, but it's also the the resurrection of the entire world. So there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And, and so all of these things built on blood, built on tyranny, built on injustice, built on cruelty and theft, built on war, all of these things will come to nothing. All these things built on pride, all, all of this will be destroyed. And so the Lord has, has set the Babylonians to, to labor and labor and labor and even to trust in the in the stuff that's gonna that's gonna fall apart and um 
it's a there's a cruelty there in the meaninglessness of all their pursuits but it's of their own fault i mean again we remember that the lord is sending the prophets to to show them this and so it's not like they can plead ignorance of this the the lord spoke over and over even to the to the babylonians to the people who weren't his own people warning them of the futility of all of these efforts and works but uh, they didn't listen at least most of them didn't listen hmm. i think the the matter of the knowledge of the glory of the lord ties into what you were saying earlier about those two layers of ignorance the the layer of ignorance of their own sin so knowing the glory of the lord is is going to show the babylonians and and anyone who would seek that own their own glory that no the glory does not belong to you you're going to try to make a name for yourselves like the tower of babel that that doesn't work the glory belongs to the lord not to you and so it, i think it applies to that matter of the you know the ignorance concerning our own sin that we would seek after our own glory the lord says no i'm going to show you so that you would know who truly has the glory but then also i think it all that glory of the lord can also function in terms of that ignorance of the lord's redemption that you know how does jesus come and show his glory how does he show the glory of the lord this is the gospel of john that that the glory of of the lord is ultimately seen in christ crucified and risen for us yeah that's exactly right uh isaiah preached it and peter picked up on this that the word of the lord endures forever so all flesh is grass the flower fades the grass withers but the word of the lord endures forever and and this preaching of the um the end of all things is is to cause us to look for those things that will not end the city i hebrews talks about the city whose maker and builder is god so when we when we start looking around at the things of this world that will all be burned like it talks about here that may that we labor merely for fire we want to look around for those things which will endure and th and those things are the things with the lord's name on them those are the things that are marked for for preservation from the fire it's like um you know if some families have a, a like a, a a box or a, a safe that it that if if th things are going to if the house catches on fire you grab that and you pull it out well that's what that's what the lord's name is Everything with the Lord's name on it is going to be is going to be clutched or pulled from the fire, and so that that means you and me, Pastor Apple, and all those who were baptized, we have the we're marked with the name of Jesus on our forehead and on our cross, to to indicate that we are the redeemed. The Lord's word endures forever through the fire, so all the all that is marked with His name will will stand on the last day and everything else is is gone so we want to labor for those things that are bound up to the lord's name the fourth woe which begins in verse 15 really has the primary image of drinking from a cup which is a familiar image in the the prophets help us to, to see how habakkuk uses it here yeah or remember how isaiah talks about the the uh, women of jerusalem they drink wine from the bowl <laughs> so mm -hmm. they, it's like uh if you're drinking from the cup that's one thing if you're drinking from the bowl then you're really in trouble uh so we have woe to them who makes his neighbor drink pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness you will have your fill of shame instead of glory this um the the text that this reminds me most of is this is babylon in the book of revelation 
who makes the nations drunk with her sexual immorality. I don't know if the nakedness here, there's two ways that nakedness comes into the Old Testament. There's the Sixth Commandment, adultery, sexual immorality, nakedness. There's mostly, though, the shame of nakedness. Like if an army is defeated, they cut off their robes and they've got to they've walk home like wearing their hospital gown, you know, with their backside hanging out. Or we think of, of, uh, of Noah who coming out of the ark builds a vineyard and then is drunk and his nakedness is exposed and then covered. I don't know. I, I'm just I'm not sure which direction to sort of take this nakedness in verse 15. But if we parallel it with the Revelation text, then it becomes the 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 sort of sixth commandment, the decadent uh, pursuit of pleasure, hedonistic Epicurean kind of uh, thing. So that Babylon says we're taking your wealth, but we're replacing it with with wine so that you can so you can kind of uh, whatever uh, get drunk do it, pursue your own pleasure and not realize the poverty w- w- in which we've placed you but here and this theme then of the lord's judgment comes in with the cup that the lord has so so that same sort of tactic of filling your neighbor with wine to bring them to shame will be turned back around. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself, show your uncircumcision, which is a taunt. Again, remember, we're in a taunt song. And so the Lord says, your nakedness will be exposed, and and that expose will show your your godlessness, that you're not part of the promise. You don't have the gift of circumcision. You're not part of the people of God. And then it says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. So this cup of wrath is, a again, a, a deep theme in the prophets, and it comes into the gospel because Jesus prays, Lord, if possible, let the cup pass from me. But then he goes and he drinks that cup, the cup of God's wrath, to the dregs for us. So so, so here again, we can talk about the two layers of ignorance and the, and the enlightenment of repentance in the theme of the cup. The, the, the ignorant godless say there is no cup. There is no cup of judgment. There is no cup of wrath. But the wisdom of the scripture says, no, there is a cup of wrath. The Lord is judge, but God has drunk it himself to save us. And so there's the two, that, that's repentance and the, the wisdom that the prophets bring to us. The fifth woe, I, I think the fifth woe begins with verse 18, even though the woe is found right, in verse yeah. 19, which which perhaps that, that signals that this is important. This is the, the climax. And certainly, I think in terms of the, the topic that's brought up, the content of this woe, where the the mockery turns to the idols now. I think I mean this is a this is where I think the song reaches its climax. We got about 6 minutes here Pastor Wolfmuller. There's uh, so much we can talk about here in these last verses concerning idolatry and then how the Lord, you know, points to himself as the true God in verse 20. Yeah, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? That that is a very that's a key phrase there. That the idols teach lies. Because we know the idols don't teach, but that's the point. For its maker trusts his own creation when he makes speechless idols. This is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. And this goes back, I think, I mean, it goes all the way back to 
the preaching of Moses, but I think this doctrine is most clearly articulated by by King David in Psalm 135. I, I just so, and and this is taken up by Isaiah, especially in a number of places, and then Habakkuk here is talking about it. But let me just read a couple of verses from Psalm 135, starting with verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Uh, Isaiah takes up this taunt, like in Isaiah 44, 42, 44, and he tells the parable of the stick. <laughs> and and it goes like this in Isaiah. He says, a man goes out and cuts down a tree and gets a stick. And then with half of the stick, he carves an idol and worships it. And with the other half of the stick, he starts a fire and makes some bread. <laughs> he said, now what, how can you worship on the one hand, the same thing that you're using to cook dinner? And, and so here I, uh, Habakkuk has the same sort of mockery of the idols. You make a metal image, a teacher of life, for the maker trusts his own creation. This is, a, this is the opposite. We should, trust, we should trust our creator. That's the way that trust goes, from creation to creator. But idolatry reverses that, and now it's the creator trusts his own creation. And if there's not a better summary of idolatry, I don't know what it is, and also a clear warning for us. I mean, we live in this technocratic society, and oh, how we trust our creations, how we trust in the things that we've built, how we trust in our in our own technology or whatever. And that is a futile trust. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, or to a silent stone, arise. Can it teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. So that idolatry is futile and empty and meaningless. But to come back to that point that, that David made at the end of Psalm 135, those who make them become like them, and so do all who worship them. So we begin to reflect the characteristics of our idols. And we, which means that if we're, you know, if you have a mute idol, you yourself become unable to say anything helpful. If you have a blind idol, you yourself cannot see what's true and what's false. If you have an idol with feet, but it can't move anywhere, then you yourself become become paralyzed and stuck. Uh, if you worship the if you worship the wood, if you worship the stone, then you also will burn and be crushed. So so we we take on the the characteristics of our idols and that is bad that i mean that's what's being warned of here mm. pastor wolfmiller we have about 2 minutes left on the morning that last verse the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him how does that help wrap this song up and and as you reflect on the text help us to see christ in this yeah so here's the 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 Babylonians want to destroy the temple, but Habakkuk says, no, the Lord is there. And while all these idols are speechless, and therefore they tell lies because they, they don't, and, and this is the lies of the people who say, I'm spiritual but not religious. I want a God who doesn't say anything. People love gods who don't say anything. 
But that's but we have a Lord who speaks, and all the world is called to the silence of faith, to listen to the voice of God and to hear and believe, because the Lord tells us not only that there's a right and wrong a judgment that's that will come on that right and wrong, but the Lord also tells us of the Redeemer. That you mentioned this earlier, Pastor Apple, the the Messiah who will sit on the holy hill. This is the one who comes to Jerusalem lowly, riding on a donkey, who comes to bear the sins of the world, to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted, and that not for himself, but for us, to be our to be our Savior. So we want to, by repentance, receive the Lord's enlightenment and press through this double layer of ignorance and recognize that it's true that we're sinners along with all those, everyone else in the world, but to know most especially that we are redeemed by the Lord who desires mercy uh, more than sacrifice and who does not desire the death of the wicked, but that they would repent and come to salvation. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller is pastor at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, helping us today with Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 to 20. Pastor Wolfmuller, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Habakkuk, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.